Chapter 34 Anuradhapuram The sun was vanishing over the horizon by the time they set foot in Anuradhapuram. Vandiyathevan, catching sight of one of Ilangai's most venerated and ancient cities, gaped at it speechless, lost in amazement. Much had he heard from those who had visited it. A certain picture had emerged in his mind based on their overwhelmed descriptions. But now that he had seen it for himself, ah, the splendid city's resplendence beggared description and went beyond all bounds of his puny imagination. Amma, what a massive fortress, walls of such length. It didn't seem possible to guess just how far they went on both sides before finally circling around the city. And as for the spires that towered above them, the gopurams, lofty mandapams and stupams that competed with one another in height, how numerous and how far apart these edifices. How was it possible for such a proliferation of grand mansions, palaces and towers to exist within these walls? Why, what were the grand cities of Kanchi, Padayare and even Tanche before such magnificence? Perhaps one or two, such as Pataliputram in Asokar's times, Ujjaini during the rule of Vikramaditya and Kaveri Patinam under the great Karigal Valavan. Ah, these cities perhaps might equal Anuradhapuram in splendor. Certainly none from present day could even be considered a rival. The closer their approach to the entrance, the larger the crowd surging towards the fort walls. Tamils and Singalwars, men, women and children, bhikshus and householders all thronged towards the city as though in eager anticipation of a chariot festival perhaps. The arrival of our travellers caught the attention of some of them, who began to point them out and whisper among themselves. Ponni in Selvar, upon whom none of these signs were lost, gestured to his companions, veered off the Rajapartai and onto a smaller, little-used shortcut. They trotted on for a brief space before coming to a stop at the base of a small hillock surrounded by leafy trees. Our horses have travelled for hours today, he looked at the other two. We'd better rest here a while and enter the city after dark. The trio dismounted and made themselves comfortable on a large, convenient boulder. Such a crowd pouring into the city, Vandyatevan exclaimed. There wouldn't be a festival of some sort today, would there? The biggest of them all, in fact, replied the prince. Considering how many there are, that's certainly something. I was wondering about this huge war that everyone swore was decimating Iranade, Vandyatevan shook his head, only to come here and find everyone off their heads celebrating a grand Tiruvira. You mentioned the Sri Jayanti festivities in Padayare, didn't you? True, but in a city that happens to be in Choranadu, and Anuradhapuram is in Iranadu, what of it? It is Sundara Chora Chakravarti who rules those lands after all, and his benevolent scepter that extends its authority over this island too. But, but aren't there enemies lurking here still? Probably, again, what of it? Must their nefarious activities be allowed to affect ordinary citizens? War may rage in the battlefields, but towns and cities must be able to rejoice in their festivals. Tirmalai, what do you say? Foes may lurk here, but so do our traitors over there. And while our foes at least gather forces out in the open, there's no saying what stealthy depths and conspirators may descend to, which is why this servant feels that your highness would do well to prolong your stay on this island, conducting festivals on ferocious battles as the case may be. Arvar Kadyan paused for breath, having delivered this lengthy peroration. Your statement would actually be quite amusing if it weren't so ridiculous, 
Vandyatevan denounced him roundly. If plotters and schemers were so dangerous, wouldn't it make more sense for the prince to be amongst them? Isn't that the very essence of fearlessness, the hallmark of a true warrior? Oh, please, as if walking straight into a trap without the slightest attempt to safeguard oneself, ignoring every ounce of common sense or advice, is the trait of every hardened warrior, Arvarkadian scoffed. Why don't you suit actions to words then, lion-heart that you are, instead of turning tail and running over here? Seize your squabbles, you two. Arun Marivarmar poured oil over their troubled waters. We don't want a war here, do we? Darkness fell and was the sign for the three travellers to slip into the city. No one was detained at the gates that day, it seemed. Fortress sentries simply stood in place, watching anyone walk through without batting an eyelid, and our three heroes managed to enter the fort without hassle, mingling with the crowds. Inside, Anuradhapuram appeared to be bursting at the seams as an endless stream of people wove along the streets in dizzying fashion while chants of Sadhu, Sadhu rose deafeningly. Here and there, Vandyatevan spotted mansions and viharams that were crumbling while still other monasteries were being renovated. The latter, at any rate, must have upon the prince's orders, he decided. As to what might have prompted this liberal gesture, that was genuinely puzzling. Why must the prince expend such extraordinary effort towards winning over the people of a conquered land? Battle and destruction were, after all, nothing new here. Singhala rulers had been warring with Tamaragam for a thousand years and instead of torching and raising the capital of their sworn enemy, reducing the city to ashes, here was the Ilango, permitting tumbled down buildings to be renovated and festivals to be conducted. Astonishing indeed. But there was something else going on here, he was sure. Something mysterious, as yet unexplained. And then a theory swam into Vandyatevan's curious mind, beginning to take gradual shape. Yes, that must be it, surely. This prince had no say in Chora politics. There was no place for him in Tanjavur after all. Aditya Karigalar was the crown prince with the right, hopefully, to ascend the throne someday and contending for that same supreme position was Madhurandagatevar, which meant that Arunmari Varmar was probably engaging in these measures to carve a kingdom for himself on this little island. And who knew, his ambitions might well have some foundation. Now, what was it that the Kudanda astrologer had predicted? Something about... Ah, yes... The Dhruva star never vacillates. It shines steadily, always holding its position. That, Thambi, describes Emperor Sundarachodar's youngest son, Prince Arulmuri Varmar. Nothing can shake his courage and determination. He is as valiant as he is compassionate and trustworthy. Those who believe in him shall never find their trust betrayed. And this was the warrior with whom he found himself. The man to whom his arduous journey had led. Vandyatevan felt as though his heart might burst with contentment. They were now at the entrance of an old mansion that looked like it might drop onto their heads at any moment and dismounted. This area was a little apart from prominent streets and was consequently devoid of people. The prince clapped thrice. The next instant, a door on one side of the mansion slid open as though by magic. No one seemed to be there, however, and he walked forward in the darkness. Curiosity got the better of Vandyatevan, who turned and peered out to know the fate of their horses. Not that he got very far in his quest. 
Our steeds know their way. Informed the prince and gave the Vanar warrior no more time to dawdle. He gripped his hand tight and practically dragged Vandiyatevan along with him. For a while, their path was in darkness, but before long, chinks of light appeared in the distance. Soon, it grew bright, and Vallavarayan realized that they had arrived at the interior of an ancient palace. We'll have to be a little careful here, I'm afraid, the prince murmured. This is Chakravarti Mahasenar's Andhapuram, after all. He might make a sudden appearance and throw us out at a moment's notice. Mahasenar who? asked Vandiyatevan, staring all around. The emperor who ruled the kingdom of Ilangai over 600 years ago. He did a great deal of good for the people and is supposed to still haunt this city. They hang cloths in trees, believing him to shiver in the cold. No one has lived here either. This palace has been empty ever since his death. Servants waited, eager to serve the prince and his companions. Once the trio had bathed and dined, they ascended to the palace's balcony from where he had a glimpse of the whole city spread out beneath in a beautiful vista. As comprehensive as their own view was, they chose a spot from where those below could not enjoy the same felicity and seated themselves. Didn't you mention, Ayya, that the Buddha statue wished you to be somewhere at the 12th Nadigai? Vandyatevan queried. There's time yet. Look above. The moon has only just risen. The prince explained. Once is ascended to that point right above the Tagaba, will be the time for us to set off. A stupam rose like a large hillock against the sky where he pointed. As these edifices were erected above a speck of Buddha Bhagavan's sacred remains, they were referred to as Tadgarbam, which gradually underwent linguistic changes to become Dagaba. Vandyatevan stared at it amazed. Why did they erect such massive monuments? In the beginning, to exhibit the greatness of Buddha Bhagavan to the general public. Later, as a means of displaying the king's own magnificence. The prince's stone was dry, and they did excel. Each stubam was bigger than the previous one. A little later, something almost akin to the thundering roar of oceans fell upon their ears. Vandyatevan peered down in the direction of the uproar. A huge crowd, an army of people came surging up the street in the distance, wave after endless wave, and amidst them seemed to float large dark shapes the size of whales, elephants in their hundreds. A thousand torches flickered and gleamed amongst them like the reflection of twinkling stars upon the sea while the people themselves numbered in lakhs. Good heavens! Vandyatevan gaped at the moving, heaving mass below. This almost looks like an invasion. Not at all, the prince intervened. Just the biggest celebration of this island, the Paraharat festival. The closer the people's approach, the greater Vandyatevan's astonishment. His eyes fairly popped out of his head, for he had seen nothing like it in his life ever. First came thirty elephants in an orderly fashion, all decorated with elaborate, rich golden plates covering their forehead and trunk. The one in the middle seemed the most ornately bedecked of them all, swaggering majestically. Upon its back reposed a golden casket, encrusted richly with the nine precious gems, a golden umbrella shielding the whole. Bhikshu sat atop the elephant surrounding the one in the center. They waved whisks liberally embellished with silver. Others walked amidst the mounts, holding aloft torches, kuttuvilakas, and other lamps, elaborately fashioned. 
the golden plates and ornaments upon the majestic pachyderms the silver handles on the monks whisks flashed and glittered in the light of the lamps captivating everyone a massive crowd followed the elephants and amidst them were approximately 100 people all in strange attire and ornaments dancing a good many carried the odukkai as well beating to a rhythm while still others played more instruments appappa what a wonderful dance too the devaralan and devarati's performance in the kadambur palace was nothing nothing at all compared to this magnificence some of the dancers leapt into the air spun twice or thrice and descended to the earth gracefully midair the rolls of cloth and kunjams little spears embellished with ornaments tied around their waists whirled out in eye catching arcs like flower adorned umbrellas the sight of a hundred or so dancers swinging up in the air and spinning thus their ornaments along with them ah you need 2000 eyes not just two to appreciate the splendor of the spectacle and a couple of 100000 years as well to perceive the beauty of the instrument play that accompanied the dancers for the udukai tundubi mattalam conches parai and others bellowed together at their highest pitch it was a wonder no one's ear had been deafened yet once the dancers and the surrounding crowd had moved past the trio 30 more elephants came into view decorated as richly as the preceding mounts the one in the center carried a well adorned casket with a golden umbrella on top the big shoes around waved their whisks gently dancers followed these elephants as well but this time they were costumed to resemble radhi manmadan and the three-eyed god himself and the people around them danced and leapt in devotion mingled with ecstasy well of all the vandyatevan exclaimed how on earth did sivapiruman arrive here brought over by the ilangai king gajabahu was the prince's reply it may have been meant to be just a brief visit but stubborn deity that he is sivan stayed here for good oi nambi you see who is the greater god now do you understand before vandyatevan could continue Several more elephants arrived complete with adornments as the previous groups. This time the people who followed them were interspersed with dancers dressed in feathers beak like noses meant to imitate Garudarvar Tirumal sacred mount leaping high spinning twirling dancing and shaking their beaks in most enthusiastic fashion. Well appane Arvar Kadiyan pounced it looks like Lord Vishnu has made an appearance as well upon his divine mount. another elephant convoy appeared accompanied this time by dancers armed to the teeth and dressed in full battle regalia prancing about with their swords spears and javelins dana dana their sharp weapons flashed and clashed according to the beats that thrummed around them and the mesmerizing rhythm of their dance the elephants that swaggered up last of all were followed by dancers holding aloft a silumbu in each hand swirling and twirling to the beats the anklets jingling and jangling with every step the dancers themselves varied their moments at each turn bursting into frenzied dervishes at one moment turning into gentle soothing angels the next showing off the lilting softness of their movements vandyatevan stood staring at these extraordinary scenes along with the strange melodies sounds and beats poured into his ears the legend behind the wonderful festival as narrated by the prince himself As much as there was a history of strife there had been many times when the kings of Tamilagam and Ilangai had extended the courtesy of friendship to each other as well Gajabahu 
of the emerald isles ringed by the sea and cheer and singutuan had been two such the former had been present when the latter conducted festivals in honor of the famed pattini kannagi the woman revered for her devotion to her husband gajabahu had stayed behind to enjoy more such celebrations later when cheran singutuvan repaid that honor with a royal visit to ilangai it was gajabahu's turn to commemorate the occasion with festivals and he did so with a plomb sivapiruman tirumal kartigeyar and kannagi all figured in the massive festivities once he discovered the people's keen enjoyment the decision was made to conduct it annually conferring a signal honor upon buddha bhagwan by placing him at the head of the procession while the other deities followed custom prevailed took root and gradually became entrenched into ilangai's cultural psyche and the festival continues to be celebrated until this day in a grand fashion the most famous tiruvira of the island but i don't see the deities anywhere vandiyathevan objected you did glimpse the golden casket upon each elephant that walked amidst several others have they locked up the devams within those little boxes vandiyathevan wondered what are they afraid of that they might make their escape to tamilagam <laughs> good god no punnin selva chuckled the first casket contains the sacred tooth of buddha bhagwan himself carefully guarded by the people the greatest treasure of the buddhists of this island the sacred relict has been preserved for centuries and is paraded in a procession upon an elephant during these special occasions what about the other caskets they couldn't find the teeth of sivapiruman vishnu murugan and kannagi i'm afraid <laughs> the prince smiled the others contain ornaments that usually adorn those deities in their temple and are paraded in place of human relics vandyatevan sank into deep thought for a few moments good lord if periya palavetariyar had come to war here instead of you the last of the procession turned a street corner at that moment and was lost to sight the mingled commotion of people elephants and instruments began to die down we have only an hour until our meeting announced the prince slipping down from the platform time to leave the trio descended to the street and took the direction opposite the procession as almost the entire population of the city had followed the paraharath parade scarce anyone accosted them and they soon reached a lake of enormous dimensions water lapped at the shore gently while moonbeams played upon the surface turning the waves into sheets of sheer eye-catching silver the men stepped down to the lake's banks and walked on the sweet scent of shenbagam flowers bade them welcome while various other blooms stark white in the moonlight hung heavily upon bushes here and there small hillocks and man-made ponds met their vision as well upon one of these was a spout fashioned like a face of a lion with water gushing out of its mouth to make a pretty waterfall they walked up to the banks of this pond and waited vandyatevan glanced around him the image of the buddha statue by the road outside anuradhapuram swam into his mind the lotus buds at the buddha's feet the prince must have counted them and arrived at the 12th nadigai and they'd been buds not fully unfurled flowers which denoted night and now that vandyatevan cudgeled his memory he did seem to remember faintly the presence of a small vessel a gindi shaped like a face of a lion it probably indicated this very pond it must have this is all well and good but who is the perpetrator of this mysterious message arranging for this assignation even more important 
what about the perils of a meeting such as this to top it all off the prince has prevented us from arming ourselves why perhaps is there going to be some sort of romantic interlude is that the whole point romance ah vandya devan's heart churned his mind flew the next instant over sea and towards padayare the images of ilaya pirati and vanudi devi floated before his mind's eye he wondered if he could pick the prince's brain and discover something anything ha huh, this place seems to resemble the elaborate gardens of an ancient palace he opened his gambit you're not far off it was one a thousand years ago dishtakamunu's palace used to be situated nearby look over there parts of his residence still exist Vandya Devan threw a cursory glance at the dilapidated buildings and mansions at a little distance. That might have been Anandapuram, and the princesses would have come here to play about in the water. A jalakridai in this very Tadagam, perhaps. Did you know something really strange did happen in this Nandavaram? As a matter of fact, a thousand years ago, King Dushtakamunu's son Sali was taking a leisurely walk one day. He caught sight of a girl filling her pitcher from this very Tadagam. and watering the flower bushes in the garden he fell in love with her at once learning only later that she belonged to the chandala caste and was called asokamala despite her lowly status he stayed stubborn in his determination to marry her if you persist in your infatuation you will be denied the throne declared his father who cares it's asokamala i want announced prince salivahanan Can you even imagine another prince in the whole world making such a daring assertion? The picture of Pungurali paddling her boat in the choppy seas of Kodikarai suddenly flashed into Vandya Devan's quick mind. Ah, was it on account of her that the prince had chosen to relate this tale? Was he thinking of her now, this very moment? Even as he wondered how best to bring up the subject of Samudra Kumari, something rather magical occurred. The fountain of lions was designed in such a way that the interior wall curved inwards allowing for a stone seat that could accommodate two. Suddenly, the feeble light of a lamp appeared to one side of this tiny alcove. The hand of a man holding aloft the lamp appeared, followed by the wise countenance of a Buddhist monk. Vandyatevan stared at this fantastic Indrajalam, mouth agape, eyes wide as saucers. Such was his eagerness to know what might happen next. that he even stopped breathing for a few moments